Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Uh, as I'm lucky enough to join you each Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, I am joined or rejoined, I should say, uh, a good friend of the Leslie Marshall Show that many of you have heard on this show before, Julian Zelizer, who is a political historian at Princeton University and a New America Foundation fellow. He's published over 500 op-eds, including his weekly column on CNN.com, where you can find his writings. He's also received fellowships from the Brookings Institute, the Guggenheim Foundation, and the Russell Sage Foundation. Uh, you should definitely check out his book, which is entitled The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Julian, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. How are you today? Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Julian, I um, it was funny before I read your piece this morning, um, you know, as I'm sure a lot of other people were kind of thinking about is um, the comparison of Donald Trump to Barry Goldwater. And I literally woke up you know, check my email on my phone, and there was your piece. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I thought it was kind of funny that, and I find that a lot actually. That's one of the things that I think uh, um, people like about Julian's writing is almost as soon as people start noticing or thinking about something, Julian has not only thought about it, but he's written about it, and um, he kind of puts it in historical perspective, which I think is really important for this race because a lot of people, I think, are wondering, has anything like this happened before? Because it seems so unusual um, to a lot of people compared to previous races. Um, but before we kind of get into that, um, I just want to know what your biggest takeaways were from yesterday. I, you know, I didn't see a lot of surprises, but anything that you found notable uh, from Super Tuesday? Well, look, on the Democratic side, clearly uh, it's getting harder and harder for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination. And Hillary Clinton's in much stronger position uh, and looking like she's more comfortable both with the results and with her candidacy. Uh, but it is notable, though, I, I'd say that he still won four primaries. He won the New Hampshire one. Uh, so this isn't a sweep by Hillary Clinton, which I think is something to think about uh, and to wonder about some of her underlying challenges that she would face in a general election. On the Republican side, it's Trump, Trump, Trump. And, you know, people keep wondering, asking, is he the front runner? Is this real? Uh, and right now, it's just undeniable. Uh, he is not just winning, but he's winning in different kinds of states, solidly conservative southern states, northern states like Massachusetts. And uh, he's not only getting the delegates, he's putting together the kind of coalition that could be pretty formidable, I think, uh, in the fall. Now, comparing him specifically to Barry Goldwater, who, you know, for those of you who uh, don't remember so accurately, got absolutely annihilated uh, in the 60s, um, running a very far-right campaign. You know, people are wondering, is this an opportunity for the Democrats, who, you know, some are very excited, at, well, not about Trump himself, but at the prospect of running against Trump versus uh, some other candidates that uh, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders don't poll as well against, like Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz, for instance. Um, you know, Bill Clinton seems, as you put in your piece, to take Donald Trump very seriously and thinks that uh, it would be a close race. Um, so comparing him to Barry Goldwater, what are some uh, similarities and differences you see between uh, these two um, candidates and, you know, kind of fast-forwarding uh, from the 60s to uh, today, uh, what do you see when you compare these two? Well, look, the similarity that certainly Democrats are hoping for is that the Republican primaries or the Republican selection process, back then it was still conventions, pick someone who's so far off from where most mainstream voters are 
that it will produce a landslide victory for the Democrats. That's what happened in 1964. You know, conservatives loved Barry Goldwater. He was a new voice. They were excited about him, but most Americans didn't agree. And so not only did Lyndon Johnson win re-election, but Democrats had these huge majorities in the House and Senate, and, and the Great Society came soon after. I don't think it's exactly the same, though. You know, the most important difference is the electorate right now is much more polarized. There's many, uh, there's far fewer places in the country where voters are likely to switch parties just because Trump is at the top of the ticket. Um, you know, the real question is in the swing states if they won't vote uh, as enthusiastically. Um, so I don't think the electorate will swing the way it did in 64. And Trump's a different kind of candidate. It's hard to pin him down. His views are all over the place, whereas Goldwater was a kind of staunch conservative who Goldwater, who Johnson could depict as, as far right of center. And finally, Goldwater was a terrible campaigner, and Trump isn't. And I think people need to acknowledge that. He's very skilled in the new media age at selling himself and selling his campaign. So if we're looking at uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump race, you know, let's assume that uh, for the moment. How do you see, you know, before we talk about the two of them head to head, obviously to, you know, win a general election, you, you need to unite your party. So how do you see the challenges for both Hillary Clinton? Let's start with Hillary Clinton first, uniting the Democrats if, if she is to be the nominee. And then we can get into Donald Trump and whether or not he can unite the Republican Party. Well, I think Hillary Clinton can. I mean, uh, you know, as as people have discussed, the thing uh, that's a problem with her, uh, one is they're just not that enthused about her. They'll vote for her. They like her, but they don't love her. Uh, and the other problem is this question of do they trust her? Uh, are they confident what she's saying is exactly the truth? Uh, and those are problems, and the unfavorability rating could be a problem in the general election. But I think most Democrats will support her. I think Bernie Sanders supporters will uh, go to her side, and I think she'll be able to unite the party. I don't think she's a divisive figure in that way. Um, and I think if Trump's at the top of the ticket or Ted Cruz, Democrats will be lining up to go to the ballot box uh, to make sure either uh, neither of those men win. Uh, Trump, you know, we don't know. This is uh, the kind of uh, phenomenon where I don't think the experts know exactly how he would do. But I do think from the early primary results, he has won in different parts of the country, different kinds of Republicans, uh, and even attracted some independents. So it's possible to see him putting together a coalition uh, that spans a, a greater part of the country than John McCain or Mitt Romney were able to do. Looking specifically at the two of them, if they were to face one another in the general election, which, you know, isn't official yet, but I think if people are guessing that's what it's looking like is going to happen, how do you see a race between a Hillary Clinton and a Donald Trump uh, shaping up? Well, it will be a character-based uh, campaign. I think uh, it will be hard for Hillary Clinton simply to focus on issues against him, while there's certain issues he's been outspoken on, race, immigration, and those will be in the campaign, he's very eclectic on other issues. That's what frustrates many Republicans, you know, for tax increases, he's for health care programs. Uh, and Trump's natural disposition is to attack the character of the person he's facing off against. So it will be uh, an incredibly ugly and pretty devastating campaign, I would say, for both sides, uh, and certainly for voters watching it. I think it will disintegrate quite quickly. 
which, as you've mentioned in the Citizens United era, is going to be potentially even worse than it would have been. But as I believe you've said on this very show before, people complain about negative ads, but they work. So, you know, how, how do people... What do people do about that, Julian? I mean, if this is what's going to happen and they feel frustrated by it, I mean, is there anything people can do about it? No, I don't think so. I mean, look, the the, the biggest way to respond to problems like negative ads or campaign finance is to vote against people who are part of the problem. Uh, but in, in neither case do we do that. And the reality is that Americans like to tune in to tough, bitter, contentious campaigns where often the goal is character assassination. And the nomination of Trump certainly shows in the large part of the Republican electorate, uh, people are open to seeing this go even further. Um, and so there's no indication for the people running that they shouldn't do this. And if they don't see any indication, they're going to do what's necessary to win. So uh, it's not that voters aren't in control. It's that voters don't really tend to take any steps in the ballot box to stop this kind of stuff. Do you think that there's somewhat of uh, the support, though, although he's not winning the the primary right now, Bernie Sanders has made his number one issue campaign finance reform, which a lot of people say is a huge issue, and that's why they're supporting him. So, I mean, I see more of an appetite than last time around for that for change in that. Maybe it's not enough for him to win the nomination, but, I mean, don't you see an increase in that? There is. I mean, certainly that has been one of his top concerns, that and economic inequality. He has had substantial amount of support. Uh, my guess is you could find in the Republican electorate poll showing support for this. I mean, part of the attack on the uh, quote-unquote establishment in the Republican primary is also about money and politics. Uh, the problem is that in the polls, people often register their frustration, but when they vote for a candidate, they don't vote for the candidates who are going to make that a central issue. So Bernie Sanders has shown this matters, but he's not going to win. Uh, and so the question is, do politicians feel that somehow after 2016 they have to act on this? But I do think there is evidence that this is a core issue that's really bothering voters. Um, speaking of the, these particular primaries, uh, we've seen an increase in turnout for Republicans in a big way, uh, in some states up 70 percent compared to 2008, and, and a decrease uh, for Democrats from 2008. Do you think that um, this trend will carry over to the general election? And before, you know, before I give you, I, I think there's some big differences from then and now. I'd like to hear your answer to that. I mean, look, if the trend continued, Democrats should be worried about it. Because, again, I, I just don't think there's going to be huge changes in many states where they've been consistently red or blue over the last few election cycles. So I do think this will once again be a campaign that you're talking about a handful of states and where voter turnout really matters. So if the trend continued, this would be a big story about what's going on right now. And the ability of Republicans to excite their voters could be decisive in some of the states like Florida, Ohio, or Colorado. That said, I don't think what we see in the primaries necessarily what we'll see in the general election. If it's Hillary Clinton running for the Democrats and she faces someone like Donald Trump, there is going to be my guess many Democrats who, regardless of what they think of Hillary Clinton, are going to be mobilized, who are going to feel desperate in some ways to stop a Trump presidency from happening. 
And the second thing is the Republicans have a lot of candidates still. So part of what's happening is all these candidates are bringing their constituencies into the primaries, whereas the Democrats don't have as much of that. So I think there's factors that explain some of the turnout that might not be at play in November. You actually answered my follow-up question, which you didn't even know what it was, so that was pretty impressive, Julian. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to ask Julian about um, minority voters and how they may play into this general election, especially uh, if the Republican candidate is Donald Trump, which obviously a lot of you know um, what happened uh, on the Sunday shows with his comments uh, about the KKK and David Duke or um, basically just not disavowing them initially when Jake Tapper asked uh, him about those issues as well as his comments about Mexicans being uh, murderers and rapists and his uh, proposed ban on Muslims entering the United States. So we'll talk about that with Julian when we get back. If you'd like to ask Julian uh, a question, now is a good time to uh, get in on the action. The number to do so is 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Again, check out Julian's book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. You can find it on Amazon.com. If you'd like to follow Julian on Twitter, his handle is simply at Julian Zelizer. That's J-U-L-I-A-N-Z-E-L-I-Z-E-R. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. I am joined by Julian Zelzer, who is a political historian at Princeton University and a New America Foundation fellow. Uh, we're going to go to a quick call before we go to that uh, subject regarding minority voters that we were going to talk about. Julian, we are joined by a good friend of the show, uh, Daily Dave in Hawaii. Uh, Dave, go ahead with your question uh, for uh, Julian, and uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, Mark. Thanks a lot. Hi, Julian. Um Maybe this will have something to do with the uh, the topic of minority voters, but I'm wondering, has uh, anything changed with in regard to like uh, potential swing states in this next election and let's say minority voters? Because I had heard that possibly Texas might flip, though so, you know it seems kind of unlikely because the right wing, you know, is, you know got so much prominence uh, this year, and I wondered uh, if you could give us a, a forecast on that. Well, uh, forecasting isn't my business, but uh, clearly I think that's part of how you could read the primary results in in two ways. One is obviously uh, Hillary Clinton is doing extraordinarily well uh, getting African Americans to come to uh, vote to support her, and there's a level of enthusiasm that's pretty palpable in part uh, because of the relationship of Clinton's. Uh, to African-American voters. Part of it is the connection to the Obama presidency. And obviously, immigration is the other issue in a place like Texas, where some of the stances of uh, Donald Trump, if he was the candidate, or even uh, Ted Cruz, uh, could really be damaging in that they could mobilize uh, constituencies who otherwise might not come out. So 
I do think, uh, both in terms of race and in terms of uh, immigration, the way this campaign is shaping up, those could be two pivotal constituencies in some of these swing states. And some of this is already playing out in the way the primaries are working. And this is something many Republicans are worried about. Uh, and they're wondering, what will the balance be with more right-wing elements in the electorate? Uh, do you think that the uh, you when I tuned in earlier, you were talking about um, voter enthusiasm and so forth? Um, beyond the primaries, um, do you think the GOP has has a as passionate a following as the as the Democrats will? Uh, do they have as impassioned a, a following? Yes, they do. I think. Uh, you know, one thing we forget is Republicans have been doing a lot of work at the state and local level for years. They've been building uh, a really strong base organizationally. They're doing well in the state legislatures, in Congress, and all of this grows out a kind of electoral uh, fervor that I think has been behind a lot of Tea Party politics. And there's a lot of anger about the Obama presidency. There's a considerable amount of determination to make sure there's not another Democrat in the White House. And uh, my guess is that uh, with Hillary Clinton at the top of the ticket uh, and someone like Donald Trump, you're going to see a, a very uh, high level of enthusiasm. Uh, although the Democrats might be able to replicate that on their side, and that's what we were talking about earlier. Dave, thanks very much for the call. Um, Julian, you kind of uh, hit on that issue regarding the um, basically the challenge for Donald Trump with you know <clears throat> getting the excitement of a lot of the far right of the Republican base, and then trying to pivot to a general election where if he's going to win, you know, a very important uh, voting block will be that of Latinos, African Americans. Um, and, you know, a smaller group, but still important, obviously, uh, Muslim voters, you know, I think well, that remains to be seen how he then pivots and says, I'm for you. Um, going on to the next subject, which you've got some, you know, Republicans, not a ton right now who have come out openly, but there's been whispers. You've got um, Republicans, Ben Sass, who's a senator from Nebraska, Peter King, a congressman from New York, and then the former New, Jer New Jersey governor. Christine Todd Whitman, uh, refusing to say they would support Trump in a general election. And you probably heard um, behind the scenes, uh, Mitch McConnell told some vulnerable uh, Republican senators who are up for reelection that they could run ads distancing themselves for, from Trump and that they'd, this quote was kind of funny, drop him like a hot rock. Uh, what do you think of this talk um, about the GOP splintering and some Republican officials potentially refusing to support Trump in a general well, there'll be some who do this, some who express their opposition or express their concern. But already, you know, the Chris Christie announcement was a big moment. Uh, Jeff Sessions is a very conservative senator from Alabama. Also, like Christie, comes out in favor of Trump. And I don't know. I still suspect while you might have some voices of dissent, uh, as the you know delegate numbers increase, you're going to have more Republicans saying either you know Trump's our candidate, not saying much more, or that they're actually enthused about Trump. You know, partisan imperatives are very strong, and as the race achieves a kind of clarity, many Republicans who don't like Trump, who are not comfortable with Trump, are going to find reason to support him. And not many Republicans are going to be the ones, if he wins the presidency, uh, to have been the people who said they were against him. Um, so, so I'm not convinced yet how many voices those will represent. 
Now, if you alluded to, if he does run and and does not win the presidency because of these different forces uh, in play in the Republican Party, where, where do you see the Republican Party heading? I mean, there is obviously a growing minority population. I, I think I, I want to say it's like 2054 or something. Um, white people will no longer be the majority in the United States. Um, you know, after the 2012 reelection of President Obama, the Republicans talked a lot about trying to be more inclusive to minorities, but we're just not seeing it uh, right now. So how do you foresee that in the future? Yeah, I think it's going to take a long time. I mean, we've we've had these predictions for a while about how the Republicans have to change, how they have to have a broader tent. But, you know, it's not within the next two election cycles. And, you know, politicians don't think eight 16 years out, um, they tend to think short-term, two years, four years, six years at most. Um, so, so right now, still the name of the game is to mobilize the base, and for Republicans, that's a pretty white base. Um, and so I'm not sure there's evidence that the party's going to make the shifts that uh, people have been talking about. And, and Republicans the House are doing very well staying and towing the conservative line uh, because those districts are mapped out to be very red, and there's not much of an incentive to broaden the party. Julian, thanks very much for joining us. As always, uh, please check out Julian's book, The Fierce Urgency of Now, Lyndon Johnson, Congress, and the Battle for the Great Society. Follow him on Twitter at Julian Zelzer. This has been Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark J. Grimaldi. 